Thank you so much. Uh, I was asked to talk about the blood. And, you know, the question, why the blood? When I was a kid and I was in church, and when I every once in a while, you know, paid some attention, and they were talking about the blood, the blood, washing in the blood, I thought, that doesn't make sense. I, I know that blood stains. If I was going to wash something, I wouldn't pick blood as a cleaning agent. But it, it makes a lot of sense in Christianity. But Christianity makes no sense unless you understand the Jewish roots of Christianity. Without understanding the sacrificial system that the Jewish people um, uh, that God set up with the P Jewish people, Jesus' death on the cross wouldn't make sense. And much of the church has been robbed or has not paid much attention to the Jewish roots of Christi Christian faith. And so as we talk about the blood, I just want to give you a little bit of information. I'm sorry I don't have the um, notes, but in Hebrews 20. Uh, 922, it says, according to the Torah, and yours may say law, the first five books of the Bible, almost everything is purified with blood. Indeed, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In Deuteronomy 12, 23, God gives us a little hint of, of how important blood is. He says, be sure that you do not eat the blood, for blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. So God connects life to the blood that flows in the veins of animals and of people. Blood represents life. Blood becomes that payment for sin when we cut ourselves off from God. In Isaiah uh, 59 uh, it says, Adonai's arm is not too short to save. His ear is not too dull to hear. Rather, it is our own crimes that separate us from God. Our sins have hidden his face so that he doesn't hear. Our hands are stained with blood and our fingers with crime. It's easy to picture a murderer and, and the blood that would be on his hands. But God says that all sin is murder in his sight. And the real victim is the sinner himself because the wages of sin is death. That's in Romans 6.23. Now, sin doesn't necessarily result in physical death right away. It's a process, but we know we're all doomed to die, although, as Gail pointed out, we don't want to live in a sinful state forever and ever. We want, we want to get out of that sinful state. But... What it's really talking about is the spiritual death. Our sin separates us from God, the creator, and the sustainer of life. So when we sin and become separated from God, we become separated from true life, the life that he planned for us. When we sin, a precious soul is lost to God. And God doesn't want this. Why, he, he created us to fellowship with us. He wanted to commune with us. The beauty, though, is that he did foresee that we would sin, that we would fall short. And so what did he do? He made a plan. 
He used a man and he used a land. It was the Jews. He picked the Jewish people out and he decided to use these Jews as an object lesson for the whole world. And he set in motion a sacrificial system so that all these souls could ultimately be saved from their sin and they could be bought back or redeemed. Now, this sacrificial system worked like this. The, the participant would bring the, the animal, and it had to be a peaceful animal, like a lamb or a goat or something, bring it to the tent of the meeting outside the door and put their hand on it as if this, this animal represents me, this is me now, and a whack, and kill it right there and pour the blood and then the priest would take that blood and sprinkle it, and then the participant could go inside and be with God. Now, when the temple, um, when they started doing this and God began to make these laws, the system uh, included many types of sacrifices. Most of them were animal sacrifices, burnt offerings, sin and trespass offerings, peace offerings, thanks offerings, Votive, that's vow offerings, free will offerings. The system uh, set forth many times that these offerings were due. They were, there were some that were daily. There were some that you only did on the Sabbath. Some you did only at new moon. Uh, some during Passover week. Some at Pentecost. Some, all the feasts, the seven feasts of the Lord, had different types of sacrifices and different ways that you would do this. There were sacrifices that were made for the whole nation of Israel, and then there were sacrifices that were made for individuals. All these sacrifices totaled many, many thousands of animals each year. The sacrificial system, in other words, was an extremely bloody and costly affair. Despite all these animals being sacrificed, these offerings really weren't enough. In Hebrews, the writer tells us that, that this is just a shadow of what's coming. That it certainly, these bulls and lambs and goats weren't really doing the job. Otherwise, they wouldn't have to keep doing it year after year after year. And talk about a lesson that these Jews were learning. I mean, in Leviticus, when you, that's a hard book, but it's, it's an interesting book. And he's laying down the law. And two things you learn in, in Leviticus, he's a holy God. He's a holy God. And you don't get to him except through the blood. Blood is important. But God is trying to teach through the Jewish people. And uh, he's teaching that the result of disobedience or sin is death. Death of the death of each animal was a dramatic reminder of that fact, and he showing them that the process of purging sin is costly and bloody, and he's teaching them that the access to Adonai's presence without being purged from sin is totally impossible. There's just no way to get to God unless you go through that blood. Otherwise, you're at the risk of being consumed by God's very holiness and his glory. He's also, although they don't 
naturally they're just human like us. They don't really get it, but he's preparing them that he himself is going to one day be that sacrifice. Instead of thousands of animals, there's going to be one animal, and it's going to be a human being that isn't really a human being. It's God himself that is going to sacrifice himself. It's a dramatic lesson, and it just even studying it again myself and preparing, again, I'm reminded we don't talk enough about the blood. The blood of Jesus is what saves us. And without his blood, without his shed blood, forget it. We are lost. But he made a way, and he chose a people, and he put them through a lot so that they could teach the world his plan for salvation. I think back to uh, when Abraham took his son Isaac, and God had told him he was going to sacrifice him. And Abraham had to go up on that mountain with his, uh, with his son, knowing, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to kill my only son. Wait, I'm supposed to be the father of many nations. How's this... <laughs> It just, I love this boy. How does all this work? And then Isaac himself, you know, he wasn't a child. He was at least 20 years old. Think of it. Abraham was in his 90s, what? And, and, and Isaac is 20 years old, strapping, you know, they're in the prime of their life. I mean, he didn't have to do this. But he got up on that altar in obedience to his father. And then just as Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. God intervened and supplied a substitute. And remember the passage in Genesis 22? And Isaac spoke unto Abraham, his father, and said, Father, behold, I see the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. There is, there's a picture right there in Genesis that of God's plan that he himself is going to sacrifice himself so that we can commune with God. In it, we find that there's salvation, uh, the redemption. That means to buy back, you know, buy back one's possessions. So we're being redeemed. God is buying us back. Purification. It's a process of cleaning. Sanctification. We're being set apart for sacred use. And all these things, I don't think we would really understand if we didn't have the Jewish roots of our system in place. One more thing, because we are... At that time of year, um, we call it by its bad name, which is Easter, and I hate that name because it's remembering Easter, a pagan holiday. I call it Resurrection Day and Passover. The, the Israelites were told to take a lamb. It had to be at least a year, year old. It wasn't a baby lamb. It was fully mature, without spot or blemish, and they had to kill it. And then take the blood and put it on the doorpost of the house. Dip it in the blood and put it on the doorpost of the house. Well, you know, the doorpost of the house is like like this. You put the blood up here. You dip it up here. Whoops, it falls down here. You put it over here and you swash it over here. What do you have? 
It's a cross. Right there in Exodus, we see, and then the Israelites leave the land. They, are, they, they uh, get their freedom. We're free. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. I mean, it's so exciting to study these things and study the Jewish uh, roots and see how God was working through them. And, and our, our faith doesn't make sense outside of this stuff. Now, now this brings to the question that someone asked. Okay, so why now there's no temple? How do the Jews do it? Because they can't sacrifice anymore at the temple. If you recall, when the temple was, God made rules. At, at one time, you could just go anywhere and make a sacrifice. But God narrowed it down. Once they got that temple, uh-uh, you only go to the temple to make the sacrifice. Well, in 70 AD, as one of you pointed out, um, they lost their temple. So what did they do? How did they get their forgiveness? What do the Orthodox Jews do? Well, 70 AD wasn't the first time that the Jews lost their temple. Hundreds of years before, they had lost it. And they had to deal with that. And so the Jews of today deal with it the same way that those ancient Jews dealt with it. They point to the passage in Hosea. The passage in Hosea, in Hosea, it says, Return, Israel, to Adonai your God, for your sin has made you stumble. Take words with you and return to Adonai. Say to him, forgive all sin and accept the good we do. We will offer prayer instead of animals. Now, Hosea gave them a solution that they were going to pray. They couldn't sacrifice anymore at the temple. There was no temple. Even King Solomon, when he built in the first temple, when he dedicated that temple in 1 Kings 8, 46 through 50, and the Jews point to this, King Solomon said, Now, God, if your people sin against you, for there's no one who doesn't sin, and you're angry with them, and hand them over to the enemy so that they carry them off in captive, then these your people come to their senses in that land where they've been enslaved, and they say, oh my, we've sinned, we've acted wrongly, and we've behaved wickedly. So if they return to you with all their heart and their being, and they pray toward their, uh, toward their own land, toward Israel, which you gave to their ancestors, toward the city you chose, and toward the house or the temple, that I have built in your name, then in heaven where you live, God, hear their prayer and plea, uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Give them compassion in the sight of their captors. So the Jews today point to those scriptures. And I'm talking about Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews still think that one day the temple will be rebuilt, and at that time, they will be able to make animal sacrifices. Now, we don't believe this. We don't believe the animal sacrifices part. I think we do believe one day the temple will be rebuilt. But, but that's what the Jews believe. And very Orthodox Jews, friends, are godly people. 
They love the Lord. And let's always remember in Romans 9, 10, and 11, they've been blinded. They've been blinded. How can you expect a handicapped person to understand what you understand? They've been blinded. The Orthodox Jews, even they want to make sacrifices. They want to show love for God. Do you know that when they, this urge comes on them, do you know what they do? They read and study the books that have been written about how you make sacrifices. So they be ready when the time comes and the temple is restored. Anyway, so that's it for, for this. Um, don't forget, you guys, to study the Old Testament, the Tanakh, along with the New Testament. I was one of those Christians that someone at, at a well-meaning church, a well-meaning Bible uh, teacher told me, just concentrate on the red letters in the New Testament and she said, every time it says Israel in the, in the Bible, just think the church. Oh, oh, ixnay. No, no. If it says Israel in the Bible, it means Israel. And if you do that, you'll understand. And your faith in Jesus and getting to know him as a Jew will be, be an exciting journey. Thank you.